0: Welcome to Dear Hank and John. course, I prefer to think of it Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers, your favorite brothers, answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John. Yes. So Valentine's Day is coming up, so I had to get a really good present for Catherine. Sure. So I decided to get her like the small beads that go on an abacus because, John, I have heard
1: it's the little things that count. I think think I'm only laughing because I had a colonoscopy like three hours ago, and so I'm still slightly... Still slightly anesthetized, the, the doctor he said, "I hope you don't have any plans for the rest of the day." I said, "As it happens, I have to go in and record my podcast." And the the doctor said, "Well, uh, you know, I, I always say, don't don't do any important work, don't sign any bank documents, but uh, I think you're probably fine to make a podcast." <laughs> well, good, John. We'll see. We'll see what you're capable of. How many
0: How many Dr. Peppers have you had?
1: Uh, just a couple. You know, they don't let you have any in the f- in the hours before the yeah. procedure, so. I'm about one and a quarter diet Dr. Okay. Peppers into my recovery right now, um, and I wasn't able to have any coffee this morning. I'm not. I'm not here to complain. This is not my first colonoscopy, but I do want to take this opportunity mm-hmm. to say yeah. to anybody out there who's over the age of fifty, or potentially even over the age of forty-five, uh, which is now when uh, some people are recommending that you first talk to your doctor, get a colonoscopy. I know that it can be intimidating and a little freaky-outy and 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 you're psyching yourself up. I'm talking to you less than three hours after I was dead asleep with a, with a scope inside of my body, and I'm fine. Yeah, not fine, but I'm like eighty. <laughs> fine. You're fine. That's fine. Eighty percent is fine, John. I uh, I often make the podcast at less than eighty percent, so you're still going to get a, an above average me. But yeah, get a colonoscopy. Talk to your doctor about it. It is. An important mm-hmm. method of prevention that not enough people take advantage of. Hank, you know this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. When I was 24 <laughs> years old and I'd had a series of yeah. complicated yeah. stomach problems and we have family history and stuff, doctor, I had a wonderful Polish doctor in Chicago at the time, just an amazing doctor, one of my all-time favorite people. <laughs> when she retired, uh, I retire all of my doctors. I've retired like 37 different <laughs> physicians. When she retired, she wrote me a <laughs> Amer- to get some young one. John. No, I've retired a couple young ones. There were a couple who like when they when they got a hold of me, they were 32. And then five years later, they were like, I just can't do it anymore. (laughs) Okay, I see. I see the problem. Anyway, my my all time favorite doctor, no disrespect to my current doctor. I know he listens to the pod. (laughs) This this doctor, she always liked to put her hand on my arm somewhere. Like, she would often say to me in a very thick Polish accent, <laughs> you must remember that you are always worried. <laughs> it, was, it was very true. But anyway, so one day she she puts her hand on me and she says, I'm sorry to say, but it is time for the colonoscopy. And I said, oh, I, I should get a colonoscopy? And she said, yes, yes, it is the monkey, but you must do it. <laughs> And even now, 20 years later, all the time, Sarah or I will put a hand on the other's arm and say, it is the monkey but you must do it.
0: I feel like we don't have enough good phrases like that in in yeah. English. Like that, like, of course, we have to all the time. And I have, I have a hard time convincing my three-year-old of this. We have to do all of the things that we don't want to do. Uh, and I should, I will say to Orin, it's it's the monkey, but we must do it. I don't know if that's like a technically a Polish phrase, but I do know a Polish phrase that I like a lot. Yeah, what is it? When like there's something that's going on around you that like, you have no part of and you just want to like distance yourself from it. Like in America, we sometimes say, I don't have a dog in that hunt. Right. They will, they will say not my circus, not my monkeys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all, all of humanity, yeah. <laughs> I feel like, needs the words, not my circus, not my monkeys, tattooed on the inside of their wrist in their local language yeah. so that they can look at it all day, all the time. You should not be allowed to tweet until you have written, not my circus, not my monkeys into Google. Right, yeah. That should unlock the tweet button.
0: Is this my circus? Is this my monkeys? <laughs> You need to ask yourself two questions before you tweet something, Johnny. want answer... My
1: circus, not my monkeys. Yeah. Oh my god, I love that. Johnny, want to answer some of the, the questions from our listeners? Very much so. This first question comes from Kellen, who writes, "Dear John and Hank." How close is the sky to the ground? In a recent Vlogbrothers video, John said of Indianapolis, where the perpetually gray sky is extremely close to the ground, which prompted me to wonder where the sky's lower limit is. Mm. I know the atmosphere just kind of thins out as you move away from Earth, but where does it stop being sky and just become the air around? Listen, Kellen, you're overthinking this. The sky Mm. in Indianapolis right now, as I'm speaking to you, is four inches above the ground. (laughs) When I stand up, I am five feet, nine inches in the sky. That's good, John. I disagree, but that's good. So this came to me via the great podcast Men in Blazers, where the co-hosts of that podcast pointed out that although London and Liverpool are at essentially the same elevation, the sky is far, far closer to the ground in Liverpool. And that Mm. is deeply true.
0: I don't understand. and but I, but I imagine if it is closer to the ground in Liverpool, it would be even closer to the ground in Indianapolis.
1: No, it's not. It, OK, it's, it's because some areas of the world, Hank, are so cloudy and the clouds never cease and they feel so oppressively low all the time that it feels as if the sky is close to the ground. Oh, it's not like a literal thing. It's not like a science thing. It's it's an ex- experiential thing.
0: Would you like to talk about it in science ways? Because I also think that it's very good.
1: Sure. Tell me how close the sky is to the ground in, in science.
0: Well, there's two. there's sort of like a couple of ways of looking at it. One is like when you look up at a blue sky, like how far away is the blue? And that's a really interesting question because
1: the wait, I gotta, I gotta stop you. I'm sorry. Yeah, what is a blue sky?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not entirely sure myself these days. So the atmosphere, the majority of the atmosphere, extends up about 16 kilometers, and up there, several kilometers, like like you know, a, a dozen kilometers or up or so, all of the Raleigh scattering that has turned the sky blue has happened, and so that blue of the sky is up there pretty far away. Yeah. But clouds are also in the sky, constantly in my case. No one's going to deny that. And those are way lower than that usually. And though and those and those clouds, they're in the sky. So if clouds are in the sky, then sky goes all the way down and and we when we jump the sky is underneath us. It is just The place where the weather is, and that's everywhere. Because wind will hit you in the face. Uh, This was actually Eric Sloan in the 40s described the sky as wherever the weather is. And I think that's really sort of elegant. Until the cloud hits something, it is in the sky. So when you're in the fog, you are just as in the sky as you always are. So we just walk around in the sky like a bunch of fish hanging out at the bottom of the water. uh, Except that we can't
1: swim to the top of the water. Because were very heavy. That's really mind blowing and beautiful. And it almost makes me not hate Indianapolis in winter. Yeah, we're just like a bunch of crabs. This next question comes from Brian who writes, Dear John and Hank, in a past episode, John recommended a poem called The Palace by Kava Akbar. I really liked it, so I started reading more work by Akbar and I came across a line from Wild Pear Peach that perfectly captures how I experienced this time of year. It's the first line of this poem, Hank, and it is a doozy. It's been January for months in both directions. (laughs) Oh, it has been January for months in both directions, hasn't it? It's a long one. Yeah. I love this idea, but I have a terrible memory, and I know that if I don't do something, I'll lose it. How do you keep the words and ideas that captivate you from slipping away? Do you have big lists of everywhere you found and liked? How would you organize them? Get busy living or get busy, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) It's all. It all. It's, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. <laughs> so Hank, like, yeah. how do you? How do you remember, for instance, that in the '40s, someone described? the sky as where weather happens, which is very beautiful and a thing I desperately want to hold on to. But I've already forgotten who said it.
0: Yeah. No, I, I have I had that written down for clarity. That wasn't sitting around oh. in, the, in the in the old conquer. I I, I, rem, I do like to memorize things, but I never memorize lines of poetry. And John, you're always busting out like Bible verses, poetry, quotes from books just things some guy said. I can't, I'd never do that. I can get you some song lyrics though. I can serve those up steaming hot, hundred percent accuracy. And I, I like to memorize songs. It's like doing a puzzle for me where I'm like, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to memorize this song. It's I've done it ever since I was a kid. And I, have been criticized for it that it's like an impure way of enjoying music and to those people I say get off my porch not your I, circus not your yeah, monkeys exactly if, if I've ever seen some not your monkeys it's how I enjoy music <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and to me that's like it's, it's a task and it's something that I like I do and then I like work my way through the thing until I've memorized it I'm very afraid because I would like to someday be in a play but I'm very afraid of being in a play yeah and having to memorize all those lines it is a th-
1: it is yeah a, I cannot a memorize thing. lines and in fact I get I get really anxious when experiencing live theater because I'm worried that the actors will forget their lines yeah yeah and that then we will all be in a shared uncomfortable situation <laughs> which of course yeah. is my ultimately my biggest fear right deep down <laughs> shared un- shared discomfort shared discomfort is being uncomfortable with other people and not being able to to move to a comfortable place quickly. Yeah. But as far as memorization goes, I can't memorize song lyrics. I also really don't memorize poetry that well. I just butcher it. Right. I just go through. I'm pretty good at remembering how something sounds to me. But It takes me a long time to not misquote something. Like, for instance, I quote a lot of Emily Dickinson poems. But if you go back and watch some early Vlogbrothers videos, you'll notice that I also misquote a lot of Emily Dickinson poems. (laughs) I've just gotten better over the years because I'm like a better fact checker now.
0: Yeah. Oftentimes, John will begin quoting a poem on Vlogbrothers and then he'll be like, oh, wait, hold that, Let's cut. I'm going to look it up. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, or on Dear Hank and John. I did that too on Dear Hank and John. I'll be yeah. like, mm, I'm not sure I have that one, actually. But one thing I do think works is writing them down. Mm-hmm. I find writing yep. down interesting ideas that I come across really helpful. And I may not even ever refer to that stuff again. It's just helpful to have written it down.
0: Yeah, saying it out loud also, which I, I think why it's easier to to do song lyrics because I think to, like it ties it to the experience of singing. And and if you are alone as a twelve year old in your bedroom and you're reading off the lyric sheet from Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians and you're just like memorizing every line of the song, then you're saying it out loud. You're reading it. You're writing it. Like that. All that stuff. Gets it stuck in your head and repetition. Like, that's the big one is like, you have to recognize that this is a task that is going, I'm going to spend a half an hour on memorizing this line. At the end of it, I will have it in my head, conceivably forever. Yeah. This next question comes from Nina asks Dear Hank and John, it's a pretty personal question. Did you have any doubts? on the day of your wedding. Memento mori nina. I assume that, John, we've decided that we're allowed to answer this question because the answer is no.
1: I I, I didn't have any doubts on the day of my wedding. That's not to say that having doubts on the day of your wedding is a catastrophic sign or whatever. Right, or that I shouldn't have.
0: Like, maybe maybe it would have been healthier for me to be like, let's (laughs) think about this. But I just didn't.
1: Yeah, right. To be clear, I had no idea what I was promising, nor did my spouse. But no, I I had a lot of anxiety. I felt really nervous and Uh I wanted everything to go well. And like, to be honest, a big part of me wanted it to be over because it was a lot of uh, social energy that I had to put out in the world that Mm -hmm. was intimidating. Yeah. But I also, you know, I mean, Sarah and I were together for a long time and we were engaged for a long time and- I've said this before, I think, but one of the most helpful things that that we did, and (laughs) I mean, I I did not want to do it, but one of the most helpful things we did was this weekend Catholic engaged encounter where we were forced to write each other a series of letters and have big discussions about mm-hmm. what we wanted our future to be like. And we learned so much in that, in that weekend that we've been using for the last 15 years. So yeah, that helped too, I think.
0: Yeah. I, I That is great. I, I was also very nervous on the day of the wedding. I did not anticipate that I would be, I, I'm often surprised when I get nervous because unlike John, uh, Hill, his doctor pointed out so eloquently, um, you have to remember so that always you're worried. Worried. You are always worried. You are always worried.
1: Uh, it was because I said that I was really worried about a symptom and she just put her hand and said, but you are always <laughs> Yeah. So that's not weird. Like that is, that's not a good signal for right. me. I haven't learned anything exactly. from that <laughs> sentence. <laughs> when you first started to come here, I would be like, oh, he's worried. But now I understand this in context. But yeah, you're totally right. You don't get worried that much. And so when you do get worried, it's a big surprise to you. And all also, like you kind of don't know what's happening. I
0: don't know what to do with it. I'm like, I feel very bad. I feel
1: bad. Yeah. Uh
0: I'm I am much more I'm more comfortable and uh I have more experience with worrying at this point in my life, which is good to have ha- had a, a ramp up because I think that no no one gets to live without bad stuff happening. But but I think like when I try and analyze the big life decisions that I have made that I like I was didn't have doubts about. This is how a life works. I think that we both have to question these very harsh structures in life that, like, here's what you do. You do this and you go to school and you go to college, you get married, you get a job, and like sort of like the the arc, and like here's what you're supposed to do-ness of life. I think that we should both question those things, but also lean into and indulge in them when they feel right. And and that is not to say that that any of those things are ever going to feel right for you, but hopefully some of them will. Or something else will. Or something, yeah. I have had instincts in my life to avoid all of those things, to never do any of them. And so some of those things aren't going to fit with me, but some of them are. And to some extent, like, I, like Catherine and I had been together for a long time, and marriage seemed like ultimately an inevitability, and that was good because it was a, it removed the stress of it. It also, it removed the big questions. It removed the big, like, hanging, like, uh, existential terror that I think comes along with really big decisions.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I might argue that 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 boils, if you were to boil down what you just said, it would boil down to... Um, Catherine and I had been together for a long time and we wanted to get married.
0: <laughs> yeah, but but I think that like we wouldn't have wanted to get married if the institution of marriage didn't exist. I, I think that we, you know, having this institution was was a good thing because it sort of let us know what the next step in our relationship
1: was. But it's not a next step for a lot of people. Yeah. And you can have all kinds of long-term relationships and the one that we institutionalize is this romantic marriage, Mm -hmm. but there are all other, there, there are so many different kinds of lifelong sustaining relationships. And I think that we haven't done enough to institutionalize the other ones, you know, like why, like why haven't Chris and I had a uh, (laughs) commitment ceremony about being best friends? Yeah, I think we should. I think that'd be a good idea. I think I would totally fight Indianapolis for that. I know. I I think that the institutions are a little limiting, or not a little. I think they're extremely limiting. Mm-hmm. The institutions have been way too narrow for way too long.
0: I agree that the institutions are too narrow. I'm just glad that that some of them
1: exist. Man, of all the like great turns in human history, <laughs> Hank Green turning <laughs> toward ritual might be the biggest surprise <laughs> of all. Like, y'all didn't know Hank when he was, like, 16. Oh, God. If if 16-year-old Hank heard what 39-year-old Hank just said, 16-year-old Hank might murder 39-year-old Hank, <laughs> and we'd be in some kind of, we'd be right, in back-to-the-future-style scenario.
0: Yeah, it'd be a problem, because because he'd try to murder me, but then I, I'm smarter and bigger than him, so I'd probably win, but then I'd <laughs> immediately vanish.
1: So... I like that you said smarter and bigger, but but did not say smarter and stronger. All right. We're going to move on from a very short question with a very long answer to this question from Audrey, who writes, Dear John and Hank, so Mary Shelley kept her dead husband's calcified heart in a jar on her desk. I'm not married, but if I wanted to do this upon my spouse's death, would I be allowed to? What's the procedure for that? And how weird would it be? We're all going to die. Audrey. Okay. Well, Audrey. I answer felt... the last part first. It's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's okay. very weird. It's very weird also, in that no, no one currently does this. Audrey, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Mary Shelley also didn't do this. Oh, okay. Oh, Mary Shelley kept her husband's calcified heart in a jar in her desk. <laughs> that is an incredibly important <laughs> oh, <dang> preposition. <laughs> the difference between having someone's calcified heart On your desk and having someone's calcified heart in your desk is the difference between uh, acceptable and unacceptable.
0: Uh, So I assume it's in a jar. It's not just like sitting there, like flopping around on the desk.
1: My understanding. And listen, I am not an expert in Percy Shelley's calcified heart. (laughs) My understanding is that after Percy Shelley drowned when caught in a storm in 1822, by the way, two other people also died. Nobody ever talks about them. But anyway, <laughs> after Percy Shelley died, his body was cremated. Mm-hmm. And for some weird reason, his heart did not burn. Oh, uh, I if it's
0: calcified. Um, so this isn't something that like you would do after death. So calcification is,
1: is a problem that will occur with some heart disease or with lung disease. Or tuberculosis. Yeah. They think it might have been from tuberculosis. Okay. So, Percy Shelley's friend, Lee Hunt, grabbed the heart.
0: Out of the fire.
1: From the flames. I think I think after the flames. Oh, okay. And eventually, like, had the common human decency to turn it over to Mary Shelley. <laughs> Mary Shelley then kept the heart. <laughs> I in, what like,
0: knows, it, did you know the, the the span of time between this guy stealing
1: her husband's heart and then being like,
0: you know what? I wonder I don't, if Mary wants this. I don't
1: know that span of time. <laughs> 30 years passed between... Shelley's death and the discovery of the heart. oh, it's just in it it's just in the drawer. My understanding is that for a long time, Mary Shelley kept the calcified heart in kind of like a silk bandana gross and she like kept, often kept it with her or near her oh. for a long time, hmm. but then eventually put it in a drawer in her desk where it remained until being discovered in eighteen. 18- Fifty-two. At that time, the heart was not, I believe, in a jar. I believe it was wrapped in the pages of one of Percy Shelley's poems. Wow! And then eventually, the heart was buried alongside their son, Percy Florence Shelley, when he died in 1889. But the important thing here, Audrey, is that it was not on a desk. Okay, that's weird. <laughs> That would be inappropriate. Uh,
0: I did a weird amount of research for this question, John. And what I can tell you is that they will not give you any part of your loved one. So if you want a piece of your loved one after they die, you're going to have to get it from them before they die. I'm really glad to know that. Yeah. Uh, And probably I'm going to suggest something like a lock of hair rather than. So basically, legally, you're not allowed to have dead body parts.
1: Yeah, I think it boils down to a kind of a not not your monkey, not your circus kind of situation. (laughs) Once it exists, you can sort of trade it back and forth between
0: people. But getting a new one is apparently an iffy space. Well, I'm glad to know that. Uh, Also, to have your spouse have a calcified heart, they would have to have something that calcified their heart. So some kind of
1: disease. Hank, all this talk about death uh, makes (laughs) me want to ask you an important question Uh that I haven't asked you in two or three weeks. Oh. Do you have a will? I have a draft of a will. Oh, my God. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hank's Will, coming soon since 2013. (laughs) This podcast is also brought to you by the 13 inches of sky
0: under your feet when you jump. Because... If you're me, that's about as high as you can get.
1: Uh, That actually sounds great. Like, I would, what I wouldn't give for a 13 inch vertical leap. Today's podcast is additionally brought to you by Percy Shelley's Calcified Heart. Percy Shelley's Calcified Heart in a desk, not on a desk. And also, this podcast is brought to you by this monkey. Is it yours? Is this your monkey? Maybe just. So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Maybe just leave it. Might not be your monkey. (laughs) Hey, Hank, I have proposed a new segment here Mm. at Dear Hank and John. Yes, you have. As you know. Uh Uh-huh. And the segment is, instead of you reading bad million-dollar ideas on Twitter, Mm -hmm. I pitch you properly good million dollar ideas. And then at the end of this year, one year from today, Mm -hmm. we have to do one of them.
0: I love this stark reversal in our brotherhood.
1: (laughs) Well, let's go over our million dollar ideas just for the record. Brotherhood 2.0. How's yours? I pitched it. The Fault in Our Stars. I wrote it. (laughs) That was also you. Yeah. (laughs) Those are my two big ones. (laughs) Oh, Crash Course. Go, also, your Course idea. my idea. It was,
0: it was, it was, yeah.
1: All right. So anyway, I, listen. You're great, you're great. You have had <laughs> several wonderful, amazing million dollar ideas. Yeah, I have, I have more ideas. You have more good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I would argue we have the same number of good ideas. I just have a higher percentage of good. Right, ideas. Right, right. Okay, I see. But that was before I had to come up with a million dollar idea every week for the next fifty two weeks.
0: All right, I can't wait to hear about this one. I've got one if you do, if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you start. No, no, this is your thing. No, I want I'll you tell you about start. mine after yours. Excited to know your million
1: dollar idea.
0: <laughs> it's it's
1: not soda syrup, is it? No. Okay. Everybody knows about that one already. What is it? Plant Wars. Oh, my God. Plant Wars is such a good idea, Hank. Plant Wars is a million-dollar idea. Okay. Well, I, I I assume we're bringing real good ideas
0: here. We're not, like, messing around, like, saying, like, yeah. fart shoes. No, real ideas. That's fart not bad, shoes aren't actually, a bad idea.
1: It's <laughs> not bad at all. <laughs> what kind of farts do they make? <laughs> no, plant. If we, if we're getting distracted, <laughs> Plant Wars is a much better idea. Here's the idea of Plant Wars. Yeah. One pot, two plants, mm-hmm. time-lapse Photography. Yeah. Which plant wins.
0: Yeah, it's like the Marble Olympics except plants. And, and it's such a good idea. Yeah. Am I wrong about what a good idea it is? I well, I I guess so because I like when I pitch it, I'm enthusiastic and everyone in the room is like
1: blank faces. <laughs> I wanna know, would kudzu right. beat a tomato plant?
0: You uh you have to set up a bracket. Like you have to have what is it called in basketball when there's the thirty-two teams? It's called March Madness. Yeah, you do a March Madness. I've thought about this a bunch. and strat- There has to be strategy that the plants have, because otherwise there's no good color commentary, and you need somebody who's doing commentary on this thing.
1: I mean, you could almost make it like a BattleBots thing, mm-hmm. where one person picks one plant, the other person picks another plant, and you can interview the people in advance about why they think things are going to go well, and then interview them afterwards about how it went.
0: Or, or, or just interview the plants.
1: <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. That's it. That's yeah. it. Interview the plants about why they feel confident going mm-hmm. in.
0: Yeah, or be, or be like, you're up against Kudzu. It's not looking great. And, and they'll be like, even if we're not the winning team, we will be the best team. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's like I recently heard someone say of Everton Football Club. We're the best football club in the world, just not on the field.
0: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So we're the best plant in the world, just not in the pot. Yeah.
1: And so you basically you hire good improv people mm-hmm. to play the role of the, plant. of the plants. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is it. it, The problem with this idea is that it costs about one point two million dollars to make the million dollars. Mm, I feel like you could do Plant Wars pretty cheap. But frankly, that's the kind of businesses that we're looking to get into right now.
0: Right. We just want to pay creative people to make great things. We want to
1: get weird. We (sighs) want more weird. Okay. I mean, we are off to a roaring start with Plant Wars. (laughs) Idea one of. Our $52 million ideas is a is a stone-cold, guaranteed yeah. million dollar yeah, idea. Yeah, idea 0.5, fart shoes also not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I already like this better than <laughs> using people on Twitter's million-dollar ideas. Let's answer some more questions from our listeners. Oh, I wanted to hear your million-dollar idea. You gotta make me wait a oh, week. No, I'm gonna save it for next week. <sighs> no, I'm, not, I'm not gonna unnecessarily generate million-dollar <laughs> ideas.
0: This next question comes from Ashley, who asks, Dear Hank and John, it's also great because I don't scream suddenly in the middle of the podcast, which I have received feedback from people that it is not great for their sleep. Ashley asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm stuck in my car because of a
1: skunk. Advice? I I figure there's two situations here. One is that the skunk is right outside the door and won't move, Mm -hmm. in which case honking a horn should work. Mm -hmm. And all that's going to happen is that your car is going to stink. Or drive away. Right. Go to a second location. Mm -hmm. That's that's, actually, now that I think about it, that's the best. (laughs) Here's the situation. You are in a car. It is a skunk. You are surrounded by 2,000 pounds of steel. The real question is, what is the skunk going to do? <laughs> it's
0: just a bag of mostly water.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. Good job. Great answer, Hank. Um, this next question comes what's What's the
0: second scenario? You said that was the first one. The second scenario is obviously that the skunk is inside and it has a switchblade. And it won't let you out. <laughs> no, the
1: second, the second <laughs> scenario is that the skunk is inside the car. Yeah. And if the skunk is inside the car, I think the solution is as simple as driving away. The solution is you cede the car to the skunk.
0: Yeah. And if, like hopefully the skunk le- leaves the car, leave one of the doors open. Hopefully the skunk leaves the car without incident. The, sk- the car smells a little bit skunky. People get in your car. They think you've been smoking marijuana. And then you have to explain that you had a sk- actual skunk in the car. And then- Uh, But if the skunk, of course, sprays in the car, then you are out of car.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could wait until the skunk sprays to just give give up. But my inclination, to be totally honest, would be to seed the car to the skunk, exit the car, call my car insurance company and say, listen, you've got a problem. (laughs) Specifically, (laughs) you've got to get me a new car. Yeah. You insured a car that currently has a skunk in it. (laughs) It got, got skunk. That was you. That's on <laughs> what you. What are we going to do?
0: <laughs> oh. This next question comes from Meredith, who asks, dear Hank and John, how do I properly use the phrases, it's all uphill from here and it's all downhill from here? This is a great question, John, because it's all downhill from here. That feels like that's it's good. Not th- everything will be easy from here on out.
1: But then also downhill is down. Down seems bad. My basic understanding of mountaineering, Hank, is that like every major expedition begins with four people getting out of like a 1992 <laughs> Volvo 240, yeah. putting on some backpacks and like then climbing up a Himalayan mountain.
0: Right, cuz that's like your own experience of the time you went
1: hiking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then when they get to the top of the mountain, you know the first thing they announce is, "Well, it's all downhill from here." It's all downhill from here. There's literally no more warm- no. amount. Yeah. And that's a that's a positive connotation.
0: Right. Well, the thing is, I think that it, there it's I think that we had this phrase, it's all downhill from here. And then some people started saying it's all uphill from here, as if that was also a good thing. I think they both mean everything is gonna be better from now on. Yeah. And up what? just feels better because, like, oh, it's up. Up is good, up is better. I'd rather be up than down. All the poop goes yeah. down. And I'd like to go away from that then you have all downhill because that's just easier to walk down, though with my knees these days, maybe it isn't. But they both basically mean everything's going to be
1: all right, even though they are opposites of each other. So I that is not my experience of it's all uphill from here. When someone says to me it's all uphill from here, I think like, "Oh, so all the hard parts are still to come." Right, which maybe I've been completely misinterpreting people saying that to me. It will me. be it will suck until it's done. Yeah, I, I, maybe people are trying to reassure me, but what they're what they're communicating to me is this is about to be miserable <laughs> until it is over. Like like right before I began my colonoscopy prep, I could imagine Somebody saying to me, "It's all uphill from here."
0: <laughs> it really isn't. It really doesn't ever. Yeah, it's pretty bad the whole
1: time. It's not yeah. great, but I will say, as somebody who's gotten a, a variety of colonoscopies over almost twenty years now, it's gotten so much better. And it has, yeah. And, and I, I feel like the the prep freaks people out, and it's and it's resulted in lots of people not getting colonoscopies, and. You should still get one. It's not that bad. Yes, I find it easier and easier every time. <laughs> Indeed, me too. See? You know what I just realized, Tank? Mm-hmm. I think my doctor all those years ago might might have been saying, "It is your monkey, <laughs> but you must do it." Like the opposite of "Not my monkeys, <laughs> not my circus." Yes. When you, she was letting me know that this was my monkey. This is your monkey. This is your circus. <laughs> this. this you know, right? Po- <laughs> Many things are not your monkey, but this unfortunately is. Yeah,
0: yeah, but the part from where your small intestine ends
1: to where your large intestine that's, <laughs> that's, ends, like that's, that's, that's your, circus, your monkey. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Before we get to the all important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I have to give you an important update, Hank. Okay. You'll recall that we heard from a listener who's. I believe grandparent had a 40-year-old bird in the back of the freezer that had been in the freezer for 40 years. Right. Well, fortunately, we have heard from a scientific taxidermist. (laughs) Okay. Paige writes to say, dear John and Hank, I do scientific taxidermy for Texas A&M. Stop bragging, Paige. <laughs> That's the coolest sentence I've ever come across. I haven't heard a sentence that cool since. Hank, I don't know the last time I heard a sentence that cool. I want to be able to write the sentence, I do scientific taxidermy for Texas A&M. Anyway, Paige also writes, I've worked on birds that have been in the freezer for four years. It's tricky. Birds that have been in the freezer for 10 plus years, the skin gets freezer burned onto the remaining flesh and is impossible to remove. I don't even want to think about the amount of freezer burn on a 40 year old bird. Throw it away. <laughs> I think we are all on the same page here. Page. Ah, oh, you're so right. So there, there you go. You've heard from a, a scientific taxidermist at Texas A&M University who says, throw that bird away. Throw that bird away. It is an expert, John. Yeah.
0: The news from Mars is exciting. The finalists have been announced for the Name the Rover contest. Yeah. So Mars twenty twenty Rover is gonna go to Mars, and just like Curiosity is named Curiosity, it is going to have a name, and it's gonna be named after a a human trait. And they solicited K through twelve students to submit their names along with a short essay
1: about why they chose it. They received. Before you tell me what the finalists are, can I give you some of my ideas? Yeah. Oh, please. Oversharing. <laughs> That's a human trait. Yes. Needless anxiety. <laughs> the Mars Needless Anxiety Rover. <laughs> I feel like the Needless Anxiety Rover would be perfect because that is what I experience the whole time from the moment of liftoff yeah. to the moment that thing like says hello. Yeah. I'm experiencing a bunch of anxiety about a situation I cannot yeah, control. it's
0: true. It's very uncontrollable. It's very scary. It's ter- ter- terrible. I can't. Yeah. Sports is bad
1: enough. Rovers, ah, I cannot. Very stressful. I cannot. Selfishness posing as selflessness. That's another suggestion. Good. Okay, good. All right, well, what are the finalists? No, none of
0: those were in, in the finalists. Yeah. Though you should have written an essay, John. I'm sure that they wouldn't have looked at <laughs> well, it. Well, apparently
1: yeah. you had to be a to K-12 student. So what were what, what are they? Uh, 28,000
0: submissions and 4,700 volunteer judges selected some semifinalists. finalists oh, great. Uh, and we're narrowed down to nine finalists. And here they are.
1: Endurance, can I rate them as Wait. we go?
0: Okay, endurance, 7. Tenacity,
1: mm, 4. Promise, 7. Perseverance, oh, I just I like the idea but I've never liked the word, 3. <laughs> Vision, no. Clarity. That's a hard no. The Mars Clarity Rover? No. Ingenuity, 7 or 7 or 7.5 maybe? Okay. okay. Fortitude. <laughs> no, we can't have the Mars Fortitude rover. It's got the word toot uh, in it. It's not new it's bad as bad as clarity. Five. Courage is the final one. Oh, I feel like courage is going to win, but it's... I like endurance or fortitude, but then I would. Those are are the values that I like to lift up. (laughs) Uh,
0: So those are the the finalists. What do you like? I don't know. I don't dislike clarity nearly as much as you do. I think that that's nice. It's like, hey, we're going to know more about Mars. We need some clarity here. This place is confusing.
1: Yeah, I guess I just don't think of clarity as a human trait. Yeah,
0: promise is also weird because it doesn't sound like a trait, but then it is. It's like, oh, I see what you mean.
1: Because when I hear promise, I think like, the thing that I make not the thing that I have well the thing to be clear the thing that you had when you were younger (laughs) (laughs)
0: um I don't know. I don't know what I, I. I did vote, but I've forgotten what I voted for. But you, John, also <laughs> cannot vote because voting closed on January twenty seventh. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, it did not coincide well with the editorial schedule of of uh, Dear Hank
1: and John. Well, that's all right. So
0: uh, I'm very excited to found uh, find out what the name is going to be. I'm very excited to start calling it that instead of the Mars twenty twenty rover. And a special shout out to Clara Ma, the student who named the Mars rover Curiosity in
1: two thousand nine. Oh. I wonder what Claire's up to these days. Probably cool things. Probably cool things. All right, Hank. The news from AFC Wimbledon is, it's not great. (laughs) We played Accrington Stanley, which is one of the teams that's at the bottom of the table with us. Mm -hmm. They're one of the smaller budget clubs in League One. And, I mean, it's the kind of game that we really should be winning or tying but we didn't. We didn't win or tie it. Instead, we lost it two to one, which was made more infuriating by the fact that almost the entire second half, we had 11 players to their 10 Oof. and somehow still only managed one shot on target in the game, Oof! which is it's just not it's not great. I'm sorry. The good news, if you can say that there's good news, is that, as you'll recall, only three teams are being relegated from League One this season, and Two of them seem much, much worse than us, Mm -hmm. and one of them, Tranmere Rovers, seems, at least at this point, significantly worse than us. Like, our goal difference is negative eight for the season. Mm -hmm. Tranmere's goal difference is negative 20. (laughs) (laughs) So... Kay. I'm fine. I would. I, I would take. I would bite your hand off for twentieth place right now. I mean, twentieth place is perfect. I think that's where we finished last season. It's a great. It's ideal. <laughs> I. Let's just end the season now. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sure that you would like to end the season now while you're not in rele- relegation. I'll, also, I'd like to end the season now on on behalf of Liverpool. <laughs> let's just <laughs> let just end the season. We're, with we're good. Everything's gone well. Yeah. But, yeah, so currently uh, Wimbledon are sitting in 20th place in League One, the last spot outside of the relegation zone. But I will remind you that in terms of where you play your football next season, 20th is as good as 8th. Absolutely. And you, uh, I assume, will make more money in this league to help you pay for your stadium? Yeah. Speaking of which, the club has launched a fan bond. So fans of the club can loan money to the club oh, and weird. actually like get an interest payment. Huh. And they're using that uh, to finance the building of the stadium instead of a loan from a bank, which would come with a much higher interest rate and also uh, potentially lots of other onerous uh, issues. And uh Yeah. I uh, I have never owned more of AFC Wimbledon Hank. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh Hank thank you for potting with me even in my slightly diminished state thank you to everybody for listening this podcast is edited by the brilliant Joseph Tuna it's produced by Rosie Allenhouse Rojas and Sheridan Gibson our head of community and communications is still Victoria Bongiorno although she is leaving and we will miss her so so much and the music that you're listening to right now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnerola. lastly as they say in our hometown don't, don't forget, forget to be miss. awesome